You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Hard Earned, Easily Shared, recorded on October 6, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy I'm here. I'm happy we're here. I'm happy the Word of God is here, and I know Jesus is here, so it's good to worship, and I can't wait to get into the sermon. If you're a first-time guest, whether here or at any of our campuses, I'll introduce myself. My name is Mike. What's your name? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hey, before I start, there's two timely opportunities that I'm going to let you know about. I know your campus pastor just... uh, gave you some announcements, but there's a couple things I wanted to stress. One is simple. You already know the men's retreat is next week. It's still not too late for last minute. I personally am very excited about what God's going to do there. So sign up. The second thing, though, because you knew about that, is we're having our very first mission trip to our 1016 team. Now, we've had uh, pastors go and visit for certain reasons, and we've had um, family that's visited their family. But we have waited, it's been uh, three, four years, four years, we haven't had a single mission trip. And we didn't know we were going to have this one. But when the leader of the 1016 team came back, um, he said, we have an opportunity if, we'll, if we would say yes to send a team of six to eight people to India to do a kind of a vacation Bible school curriculum uh, in India for... Uh, mostly American kids, because they're going to bring a bunch of um, workers into a a town in India, and they're going to have a little conference, but their kids need ministry. So if if our church would serve those workers um, by doing that, we had that opportunity. Well, uh, the leader told me and and Fred this, and so it's either yes, no, answer now. That was one of those deals. (laughs) So we said, Heaven hates a coward. Okay, we can do this. We said yes. And then we started thinking of who we could ask, uh, and we actually already have a team now. Um, And normally we put that out there for you to have an opportunity, but this had to move fast. We had to have an answer fast. So we we got a team together and said, yep, we'll do it. Um, Normally they have a year to raise funds, and and, uh, you have an opportunity, if you want, to help them go. So you won't get any letters in the mail or anything, but if you look in your bulletin, it says missions, <laughs> there it is. And if, you're, if, you, if you don't have the app for Harvest, you can download the app, um, and, that, and that gives you the directory, it gives you a map every week, but it also gives you the way to give, that's how I tithe. Often we'll say a prayer and push a button. It's, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think the first church ever envisioned that's how we would be giving one day. I might... It might be like at McDonald's saying a prayer, pushing a button. There, I gave it to you, Jesus. But there is a little place you can give. I tried to do this because I wanted to give a few dollars myself. And you can give right through the app to the India team. Or you can just write a check or whatever other way. But market India team if you want to participate and be part of what they do in that way. All right, enough of that. Let's get to the Word of God. We're in Mark chapter 2. Oh, oh, by the way, next week, um, the men will be at Men's Retreat. Hopefully all you men will go. Those of you men who don't go to Men's Retreat, make sure you come here. We're going to have a guest speaker who none of you have heard preach, I don't think. He's a friend of mine, and I'm excited about him coming. I've looked over his sermon a little bit and saw what's coming up, so I hope you'll, you'll be here. Um, Mark 2, 1 to 12. Uh, God in Isaiah 40 tells us about himself, and he compares himself to us, and, and it's pretty sobering, perhaps, if you want to, um, if you're full of yourself one day, and just think you are all that and a bag of chips, um, and, and you just think you're the greatest thing God ever made, maybe you want to go just read some Isaiah 40, because he, he just spells out, he says, what are we? What is mankind? We are, we are the flower that blooms one day, and it fades away the next. He can breathe on us, and we're gone, and who is he? He's the one who can take the oceans in his hand and drip them out. He's the one, he says in Isaiah 40, look up. See all those stars? I put them out there. I call them by name. I keep them in order. That's me. And let's go back to you, the flower of the field. You're like grass, okay? (laughs) Control stars. 
a fading flower. Do you see the difference? See the contrast? And then you leads, leads us to ask them, why do you care for us? And that's where uh, I think the Holy Spirit only can help us. I, I don't think we, I, I think you could think on that thought your whole life and you'll, you'll never grasp just how great his love is for us compared to who we are. Um, but that kind of comes out in our text today because it comes out that love comes out in the incarnation. The God who called the stars out became one of those fading flowers, didn't he? And that's a, that's a miracle in, uh, in itself. And so let's take a look at Mark 2, 1 to 12, and I think you'll catch on to why I brought that up. Mark 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, he went off ministering, talking, telling people about the gospel. Remember, he made Capernaum in Galilee his home base, probably Peter's house. He's like, we're going to set up right here. Maybe he had an office. He had his little computer in there, and he would, well, maybe he didn't have a computer, but um, he just kind of took over Peter's house, most likely. So he comes back to his home base, Capernaum, and it was reported that he was at home. Uh, I love that. It was reported that he was at home. Uh, Jesus, can you come out and play? Jesus is home. Jesus, he's probably like, I can get... Before people figure out where I am, maybe I can get a little something done, maybe a nap. (laughs) Didn't take long. And there were many gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. As he was preaching the word to them, when you think of a house back in those days, you just think of a square. And perhaps Peter had a bigger house. Maybe he was a successful fisherman. I don't know. That would just mean a bigger square. If the house was even bigger for them, they might have a square on top of their flat roof. And that might be their, their cataluma, their upper room. Uh, that word that was, is a trivia night, um, mistranslated in, in the King James. When it said Jesus, there was no room in the inn. should have been spare room. And that led to this whole fable about an innkeeper and all that stuff that we do at Christmas time. But all you normally have is, that was trivial, you can come back at Christmas and I'll explain it again, but it's a big square room, and hospitality said, if someone comes over, you let them in. Well, they filled the square, <laughs> and uh, maybe it was as big as this stage, and that might have been it, and it was full. Every, I mean, standing room only, and people were at the door, and what did Jesus do? It says right here, he was preaching the word to him. Jesus used that time to preach. He, he, God knows how he made human beings. We have brains. We do sentences. We do words. He doesn't reach us through magic. He reaches us through ideas, through truth. It, it, it's a glorious thing. Anyone can know God if you can understand language. He, he just talks to you. And so he's preaching to them. Verse 3 Um, But there was other work that was going to need to be done because people had needs. And here we go, verse 3. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And um, I don't know if any of you have ever carried a stretcher. You may envision yourself holding an end and the other guy holding an end. Maybe if you're carrying a child. Um, I've carried a stretcher. It's better to have four people, especially if the person is of any size. They're very heavy. So you see four men carrying a guy on a bed of some kind. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I, I, I try to envision this picture every time I read it because it's awesome. <laughs> Imagine you're in this stuffed room, Jesus is preaching away, and all of a sudden you hear the tiles being moved in the roof. First Peter is thinking, who's going to fix that, right? What are, you, what are you doing to my roof? Why did you just ask him to come upstairs? <laughs> because you can get onto those roofs. Normally there's stairs on the side of the building because they use those flat roofs. That's not like our roofs where you'd fall off. So, so they just went up the side. They said, we can't get in. Well, we'll just go up the stairs on the side. And they're ruining the guy's roof. They, it doesn't rain much uh, in the desert, so that's kind of good. He has time to fix it. But they, they had to open, and I was thinking, how, how six foot by three foot? If you want to get a guy down. And then I was thinking, how'd they get him down? And then you've got dirt and stuff falling down. Hopefully they're careful. But everyone in the room, try, 
you know, I preach sermons all the time and the smallest distraction might throw me off. Could you imagine if, if, if the roof started caving in? People are like, whoa. Jesus was like, open up your maps. I still have a point. He's like, they're not listening, Jesus. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> the, the roof opens up, the light's coming in, and here comes a dude. And then I'm thinking, how'd they lower him? How high was the ceiling? Was it seven feet, eight feet? I don't know. Did they put ropes? You can envision they had some ropes. But I was thinking, what if they didn't even have ropes? So they just lay on their belly, and they each are like, there's a dudes. There's four dudes maybe hanging down, looking at Jesus with their hair coming down, and a dude. <laughs> I mean, and, and the guy's laying there, and hi, paralyzed. <laughs> Pretty much can't get up. <laughs> and, and Jesus saw their faith, it said. Saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw what cannot be seen. You cannot see someone's faith. It doesn't say he just saw the guy on the bed's faith. It's plural. And back then, they knew that plural pronouns were for more than one people. It's not 2019 back then where we're so stupid we can't say he or she. But they weren't stupid then. That was a little editorial comment on our society today, if you didn't catch that. Um, <laughs> and they meant all five of them. Jesus is saying, all five of you guys have faith. He can see it. What is faith? Faith is knowing that God is good and that he's great. And, and so they were confident, if we get him, he's going to help us. You know, He won't turn his back, and he's able to do it. They had faith. And Jesus said, your sins forgiven. Amazing moment because he didn't come for that, did he? He came because he wanted to get up off that mat. He came for physical healing, which would have been temporary, and he got soul healing. Think about this concept. Can you come to Jesus for a problem, for one problem, and he solves a different one? It's like, you came to me for this problem, but you got a bigger one. I'm going to solve that one, right? And so he makes an executive decision as God and forgives all their sins. Just, you're forgiven. Well, the story doesn't end there, does it? Um, it's a good thing it doesn't. Some exciting things are about to happen. So then some of the scribes were sitting there. Remember, these are the bosses of the Pharisees. Uh, uh, the, the local synagogue is run by them. So on a local level, the scribes are big shots. They were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins except God? They're, they're thinking, and they, they look at each other. They don't even say it. They all know in their heart. What did, it, what did he just say? What, what did he just say? Did he just say, your sins are forgiven? He can't do that. Who does he think he is, God? <laughs> Who died and made him God? You know, all these thoughts are going through their head. Because they're the, they're the holy cops. <laughs> no one's more annoying to any society than a religious cop. Um, you know what I mean? You ever meet religious cops? Maybe you are a religious cop. Maybe if you're honest, you've been a religious cop. You are the one who goes around declaring the evils of all the other people. And they're like, we got one here. <laughs> they, they were close to the truth. No one but God can forgive sins. Yes, you're getting it. You're getting warmer. <laughs> now, they didn't say it. They said they said it in their hearts. So they're thinking it, right? Hearts mean who you really are in the Bible, your soul. You, it's you. So they're saying in their minds is how we'd say it. They thought it. Would they have spoken it? They may never have spoken it. I mean, Jesus is pretty popular. They're stuck in the house. They could have been, taken, they could have been dispensed with right then if they made the mob mad, let's say. But before they could speak, Jesus acts. Verse 8, immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? <laughs> it, 
it's really hard to win an argument when the other person already knows what you're thinking, right? They hadn't even said anything. They're just sitting there looking at each other, and he's like, hey, 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 hey. I saw that thought. <laughs> Why do you ask these things? Isn't that, that's amazing. And I, I don't know how that scene looked to the people. They, they probably noticed. They saw the guy come down. Jesus doesn't heal him. He just forgives his, his sins. And he says, because of faith. Maybe the people are pondering that. Are you going to heal him? What's faith got to do with it? And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns on the most powerful people in the room, looks at him, and says, what are you thinking? This, because <laughs> humans are humans, would be very entertaining, wouldn't it? You might feel nervous inside. You're, if you hate conflict, you'd be thinking, no, don't, uh, let me out of here. If you enjoy conflict, you're like, this is just getting good. <laughs> all the attention is on the Pharisees. And Jesus said, why are you thinking that? And then he does this. Which is easier to say? He asked them a question to the paralytic. That would probably be translated as something like cripple. Again, they weren't near as politically correct as we are, which made it a nicer time to talk. (laughs) Which is easier for me to say to this cripple guy? That's what he said. Your sins are forgiven? Or rise, take up your bed, and walk. The question is deeper than it might look. That's a heck of a question. Because technically, he's not saying which is easier to say. Because they're just as easy to say. Anyone can say either one. He's he's saying which one is easier to do. (laughs) Um, That's the point of his question. Is it easier for me to forgive this guy's sins, or is it easier for me to heal his broken body? Now, both tasks, think about it if you had to do it. Which one of those would be easier for you? Healing the paralytic or forgiving his sins? Now, if you have any answer in your mind besides, I couldn't do either one, then you are a severely misguided human being (laughs) who's dangerous to your family and society um, because you can't do either one. You can't do either one. I can't do either one. So if he asked me that question, I'd be like, heck, I don't know. <laughs> he asked the Pharisees, which one of these is easier? To forgive their sin? Forgive this guy's sins or get him up and walk? Both of them are impossible. What, what Jesus is establishing here is that he can do both. That's what the question is meant to establish. He hasn't done both. He's only done one, the invisible one. But he can do both. What he's really saying is, which one of these two things do you think is more difficult for me to do? He's really not, right? He knows they know they can't. <laughs> so Jesus says, why are you thinking that in your heart? I can't forgive sins. You think I can't do that? You think I can't heal them? Which ones do you think is harder? Is healing hard for God, healing his body? Well, you can always say nothing's hard for God, but it's just how much work is no work. That's the easier one. Remember the valley of dry bones? God took Ezekiel and showed him all these bones, and he goes, then God says, check this out. The bones started to rattle. (laughs) They started to grow up together into skeletons, and then sinews, love that word in the Bible, sinews or muscle came on them, and flesh came on them, and hair came on them, and skin came on them, and bam, there was an army of dudes like that. The Bible didn't say what happened to those guys. I'm pretty sure as soon as God was done showing Ezekiel, he went, boom, and they went right back down to where they were. Animating matter is a cinch for God. All he has to do is say, let there be. He could have made the dude into Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime, (laughs) like that. Forgiveness is actually harder. Why? Because the Bible says, and this is our first map point and a very important one, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. A sacrifice sufficient to the crime must be offered, but there was no one on earth worthy to give that sacrifice. 
So God became a man and dwelt among us. God didn't have to incarnate to heal the paralytic. He can do it from the sky. He could have a donkey walk up and say, get up, and the guy would get up. But in order to save us, he had to become one of us. He had to walk among us. Because the guilt of our sin cannot be purchased by sinners. And you could say, well, he's a Jew. Don't they purchase that with a lamb? That's a religious symbol. It shows you the depth of sin. The death, a life has to be forfeited. But do you really think a human being made in the image of God is equal in value to a lamb? A lamb can't buy a human soul. No one in that room could forgive sins because no one could remedy them. No one could take away the anger of God, the righteous, holy God, at sin. No one could wash it out of his soul. Try washing a soul. You can't do it. Jesus did not have to die, to put it in another way, to fix a paralyzed man. But he would have to give his life to fulfill the promise he just made that man on a cross. So which one is easier? Which one is easier? He did the harder one first. He did the harder one first. And he forgave. And notice it's based on the work he's going to do. And since he's over time, he can retroactively apply that if he wants. But notice it's based on faith. Salvation in the Old Testament is not based on good works, but of faith. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Salvation when Jesus walked the earth, before the cross was on faith. Salvation today is by faith. The man believed. And then... The story ends well. Here we go, verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now you can imagine in verse 12 he's going to, and we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) But in this statement where where he says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he's revealing two things about himself. One, that he is a human being. Two, that he is God. Because only God can forgive sins. The scribes are right. He must be God. But he calls himself the Son of Man. So that is our next and very doctrinally important, <laughs> very important. If you want to be a good Christian, you have to have orthodox beliefs. That means right beliefs. Well, now we're getting another one. One, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Here's another. Son of man is a declaration of Jesus' humanity. The authority to forgive sins is a revelation of his divinity. He is one person with two natures. No one else is like him. He's both man and divine. And what does he want? What does he want the Pharisees to know in verse 10? What does he want the Pharisees to know? If you have your Bible open, you could look at it again. It's always good to bring a Bible, open a Bible. But for those of you who don't have your Bible open, I'm not here to make you feel guilty, I'll read it to you. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He wants the Pharisees to know that the forgiveness of sins is standing in front of them. I want you to know. I could have just healed the dude and he'd have been happy and got on with my sermon, but I wanted you to know that I have the authority to forgive sins. He wanted everyone in the house to know that he had the authority to forgive sins. He wanted, because Mark wrote it down in the Bible, all the first Christians in the church to know, he wanted you to know there is one man who has stepped on this planet who has the authority to forgive your sins. Think about that. How else are you going to get rid of them? Would you like to try a pilgrimage to Mecca? Do that. See if your sins are left. Go to the Vatican. 
light some candles, pray some beads, see if your sins are still there. They will be. Sit cross-legged on the floor. Do your fingers like this and go, um, until nothingness invades your brain. Your sins are still going to be there. Go to the psychiatrist who tells you guilt is an illusion, it's not real, and your sins are still there. What can you do? You may say, well, I'll go do a good deed. Cannot get rid of the guilt of the sin you did. Can't. Sin's still there. Think about your sins. Pick one. If, if you can't think of one sin, we're back to the deluded human. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure all of you can think of one sin. Think of one regret that you'd like to undo. Everyone has those. How, are you thinking about it? Is it in your mind? I want you to really think about it. Put it in your mind while I tell you these words. The Son of Man has authority to wash that away. Now, would you like that sin forgiven? Then where do you go? Then where do you go? And not just that, pick another. Pick your second worst sin. Pick the ones you can't remember. The Son of Man, Jesus did (laughs) two impossibly hard things. One of them was visual. He healed a paralytic. But he did that not just to heal the man, because the man is going to die again. (laughs) But to prove that he was telling the truth about his ability to forgive sins. And so he tells the man, get up and go home. Verse 12, the man rose and immediately picked up his bed and he left. He might have wanted to hear the rest of the sermon. But Jesus, when, when a guy tells you your sins are forgiven and heals you, you do what he says. So he says, I guess I got to leave. See you guys. And out the door he goes. I don't think he went back up to the roof. Everyone was amazed and glorifying God. Really, the sermon opportunity is over. People are freaking out. Whoa. He just slapped the scribes, and instead of them slapping them back, he made the point, and he healed our friend. Because this small town, they probably know him. And they said, we never saw anything like this. Heck no, you haven't. Where would you? What about the scribes? I'm guessing they just kept their mouths shut. <laughs> and they tried to think good thoughts because Jesus was reading their mind. They're like, daisies, flowers, puppies, daisies, flowers, puppies. They don't... On a grander scale in the Bible, a, a prophecy was fulfilled. A very important prophecy. Uh, there was... Uh, uh, the. The, the Messiah was supposed to come and he was supposed to heal the eyes of the, of the blind, have that power anytime he wants. And that's why in the gospel you see several blind people being healed. And he also was to help the lame. And I want to read that prophecy to you so you can too marvel at the Messiah. So this prophecy came from Isaiah. Lots of good prophecies about the Messiah came from Isaiah. And again, that's seven centuries before Mary got pregnant with Jesus. And he said this. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Now, an anxious heart could be someone who worries all the time. But it also could be someone who at the moment is stressed out. Stressed out. Where's the joy in life? Say to those people, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He will... will With the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you. Now this is a a picture of Messiah who's actually going to come to them. And he did. It was Jesus. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And waters break forth in the wilderness in the streams of the desert. You have this picture of the sad person, the blind person, the deaf person, the crippled person. And all of that is completely turned upside down and fortunes reversed in an instant because Jesus showed up. In the midst of Israel's suffering came this promise. Your God is going to come. The Romans are stomping you down right now. It's the time Jesus came. The Greeks had just been stomping you down. Before then, the Persians were stomping you down. And before then, it was Babylon. 
You've just been nothing but stomped for 600 years. And you think politically you got no shot at getting rid of these Romans. You think there's no hope for you. Your God is going to come and save you. And then comes Jesus. Now, we know Jesus came. We know what he did and we know what he taught. But brothers and sisters, look at history. Do you see where you're placed in history? That prophecy is just as true for you. It might even be more true. Because Jesus' kingdom didn't come in fullness. The promise did. It was amazing to see him. But then he went back to heaven. He's going to come again. And then his kingdom comes in fullness. Then lame men who leap for joy won't just leap for joy. They'll never stop leaping. Like this guy stopped leaping. He croaked. It was on his tombstone. Was healed. <laughs> was billed for a hole in the roof, you know. <laughs> the day God's going to get that guy up again, second time. He's going to go for a twofer. God's going to speak his, his voice, Jesus. The trumpet will sound. Jesus will return, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will join him in the air. The, the voice of the dead will hear the Son of God, when he says, get up! And that dude's like, hey, I get to get up again. You never stop leaping. Are you suffering today? Are you stressed out and anxious of heart? And you don't know how you can unpack the rest of your life in a way that'll give you joy? Are you sorrowful? The day will come when all the sorrows of this world cease. When the injured dance. When the sad rejoice, it will happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The people of Galilee back then, they got the great joy of seeing God in the flesh, of seeing this lame man leap like a deer. But you, Christian, who know him now in the 21st century, you too will have great joy even greater. You will see him return to raise the dead to life. The harder thing was forgiving the sin. But how hard, how much harder was it? Here, here's where I was saying, I don't think we recognize the value of the gift we're given. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I don't think without the help of the Holy Spirit, we can even understand the value of the gift. Someone gave me free tickets to see Penn State's homecoming game. Now, I've, I understand the value of those. I know literally how much they cost, but I also know that if you want to buy them on StubHub, they cost more because I know, you know, the weather's going to start getting bad. This is the last not frozen weather, most likely. It's a homecoming. Maybe Frank O'Harris will be there. Some other great Nittany Lions. Remember back when Pitt used to have great players? I know, it was a long time. But I understand the value. I appreciate that. If you were to give them to a Pitt fan, they'd be like, I don't know what to do with these. They wouldn't understand. You don't know what you were just given. When it comes to forgiveness of sins, well, there's, a, there's a weight to that. There's a weight. It, it's not just you're blessed. Look what the Bible, again from Isaiah. Isaiah told about the personal life of our Savior and what forgiveness of sins will cost. Look what it cost him. Jesus was despised. It says he. Obviously, didn't have, Isaiah didn't have his name. He said he, but I know his name now. It's Jesus was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He, he was a man at the time of his suffering whom men hide their faces because he was despised. Have you ever seen something so gruesome you had to look away? Well, that was Jesus. We esteemed him not. Why was he so beaten? Well, the answer's right here. He, surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet... We thought he was stricken. Even at the time, we didn't understand the weight of what it takes to forgive sin. We thought God was smiting him, that he was afflicted. 
But we were wrong because he was pierced for our transgressions. Holes in the hands and the feet, in the side. For our sin. So when I said to you, think of the sin, do you think it's just a simple thing for God to take away that one sin you wish you never did? No, sir. No, ma'am. It cost him way more than you would want to pay. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. To, to, to mankind who thinks their ways are smart and their ways are great and they're okay. And they know. And maybe that's you. You think, I'm okay. I'm as good as the next guy. I'm definitely as good as the next Christian. I'm a decent person. God, I'll take my chances with God on the judgment day. I think I've been pretty good. My friend, you are self-deceived. All we like sheep have turned away. And instead of crushing us, The moment we sin, he laid the iniquity of us all on the Lord. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb, he was led to slaughter. Like a sheep, before his shears is silent, you can see Pilate saying, I have the power to save you. Why don't you talk? And he just sat there. When he did answer, he said, You don't have any power. (laughs) You're using borrowed authority. And this is going to happen. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, the people at the moment, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living? What's that mean? This is about the Messiah. None of them thought he would die. The apostles ran because they didn't know Messiah was going to suffer. It was right here. They couldn't see it. Nobody thought. It was proof to the Pharisees and the Romans, he's not God, he's not Messiah. Look, he's dead. Who considered that he was stricken for the transgression of my people, says God. And they made his grave with the wicked. Remember that? He died with two criminals, but with a rich man in his death. Remember Joseph of Arimathea, the wealthy Pharisee who felt bad went and said, I'll take him and I'll put him in my wealthy tomb. He was with a rich man in his death. Although he'd done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. And again, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. From that cross, he died for God's people, the Jews, but from that, that marred face, <laughs> the, the blood would be sprinkled on all the nations, so some would be saved. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. I can't wait for that moment. I cannot wait for that moment. I cannot wait for that moment when the great men and women of this world who think they run everything shut their mouths because the king comes back. For that which has been told to them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Forgiveness of sins was purchased for you by Jesus at the highest possible cost. Now, let me me ask you a question here. Have you ever think you've ever valued it enough? And if any of you self-righteously think you have, deluded. How, How can a human mind have the concept of God the Holy One becoming a man and what it cost him to lay down his life? Think again, have you ever valued your neighbor realizing how much they cost? Jesus. And again, have you ever thought of how not self-indulgent Jesus is? This was the most expensive thing he could do. 
Which do you think is easier for me to say forgive his sins? That's not easy. You want me to get him up? Get up, pal. Get the heck out of here. That was a cinch. But how hard was it for the paralyzed man? What did he do to get forgiveness of sins? Nothing. And I think we can devalue our salvation because we don't have to do anything to get it. We cannot be grateful. We cannot understand that God has given us the most valuable thing, the death of his son, to save us. And then we don't live for him. And that's foolishness. Never take your salvation as cheaply earned. It came at the highest cost, which leads me to two two application points. The first one is we Christians must be givers and not takers. We live in a self-indulgent world. The world's self-indulgent anyway, but if you take our, uh, our culture, which is free market capitalism, which I'm in favor of as an economic way of doing things, but it creates more self-indulgence, more self-centeredness. And it's the air you breathe. It's the culture which you're raised in. And Christians, we need to come out of that culture. And you need to do it deliberately. That means you need to first notice if a girl has a big juicy zit on her face and she's about to go on a date, it does no good if she don't know it's there. But if she sees it, she'll take care of it. (laughs) She'll be like, oh no, and squeezing and putting makeup on it. Well, you can't get away from the self-indulgent culture unless you can see that it's the culture that has trained your brain. Everything is centered on self-improvement, self-enrichment, self-satisfaction, self and self and self and self and self-promotion and self-exaltation, and you get in your power. But we follow the one who said, act like me, who thought only about giving his love and his life for the world. We must be different. This guy, this lady, this cop went in and shot some guy by accident. She, well, she says it was an accident. She says she thought it was her apartment. She comes in there. There's a guy in there. She shoots him dead. I don't know if you heard about this in the news. Well, she just got sentenced to 10 years. Not much. I think if he, she really murdered him, well, I think death penalty, but if at least not, let's not see her for the rest of her life, but 10 years. The guy's brother says, can I say something? And he says, I want you to know I forgive you. I want you to know I'd, I wish you didn't have to go to jail. I want you to know that if my brother would hear, he'd say to forgive you. I want you to know the best thing you can do for your life is, is, is receive Christ. And then he said to the judge, can I hug her? She said, yeah, he hugged her. Then the judge was so moved, she gave the lady her personal Bible, for which she's now in trouble. Now, on Twitter, um, the Twitterverse went after this guy. And many people said, what an idiot. What, what a fool. And it's not because they're just being mean. They can't understand how you'd forgive a, a lady who in cold blood killed your brother. You need to be people... The world don't understand. But are we? Let me give you an example of what I mean to help you look in the mirror. I was thinking, okay, we're Christians and we buy things. What are the top 10 Christian books? And I looked them up. I'm going to read them to you. Here's the top 10 for the last year. One, girl, wash your face. That's what it's called. <laughs> the subtitle, Stop Believing the Lies About Who You Are So That You Can Become who you were meant to be. Second one, it's not supposed to be this way. Finding unexpected strength when disappointments leave you shattered. That's probably a good book. Third, five love languages, the secret to love that lasts. Four, total money makeover, the guide to financial fitness. Five, the road back to you. (laughs) You went somewhere, you lost yourself. An Enneagram journey to self-discovery. Self-discovery. I'm going to find out who I am. Jesus Calling. Avoid the Jesus Calling books. I know they're nice, but 
Nobody knows what Jesus, <laughs> this woman's come up with new words that Jesus said. He didn't say them. But anyway, Jesus calling, enjoying peace in his presence. Boss up. Boss up is a plan for moms and women to live the lives they've dreamed of. Which means all us husbands are going to get our to-do list back. We're going to lose weight. <laughs> plan for moms and women to live the lives they've dreamed of and learn how to start and succeed in their own business. Boundaries, when to say yes, how to say no, and take control of your life. A hundred days to brave. Devotions for unlocking your most courageous self. And ten, embrace. I just hit the thing and went away. A hundred devotions to know that God is holding you close. Now, at least two of those books look like they might be helpful. I'm not against books that help you. But every one of them, and that's from christianbook.com, that's my source. Every one of them focuses on who? And we don't even notice. We don't even notice. Because it's the air we breathe. It's time to notice. Yeah, you got to take care of yourself. You got to improve yourself. If you're hurt, you got to fix yourself. But... This is a total thinking only about me, 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 me. And we serve a God, 2 Corinthians 4, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. Well, in our bookstores we do, so maybe we do. But Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves, how do we define us? As servants for Jesus' sake. Do you define your Christianity by a book that says how to be a better slave of my neighbor so that Christ can get glorified? Have you bought that book lately? Have you seen that book? For God said, let light shine out of darkness. He's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is pointing to the treasure You should be a servant of everyone for Christ's sake because look what Christ gave you. He's shown in your heart from the light of the glory of Christ. Want to read a book? Read Knowing God by J.I. Packer or Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or The Hiding Place or Let the Nations Be Glad. If you need a depression book, read it. But the reason we we need to get out of the doldrums is so we can serve other people. Let us look to God more, ourselves only when necessary, and give away our lives. That's what Jesus did. Second application is we must value the treasure of forgiveness of sins above all earthly things. I guess I'm asking, do you ask for God... enough from God. You may not have forgiveness of sins here. When I asked you about your sins, you're thinking, I wish my sins were forgiven. And you just said, I couldn't get them forgiven by doing good deeds. What do I do? Well, you have to believe. (laughs) Look, but maybe you don't ask for enough from God. A lot of people go to church for all kinds of reasons that aren't forgiveness of sins. Just like a man being brought to be healed physically, he didn't go to get soul care. And so the church will go out there and your friends tell you, you come here, your marriage will get better. You come and listen to Jesus, this good thing will happen or that good thing will happen. Look, life is hard. And the hardships of life, if they bring you to Jesus, good. I met a guy who got saved in prison. and I met him when he was out of prison, but I've met people in prison, but he was out. And I said, why'd you get saved? I went to the chapel services that the local church was allowed to come in so I could lust at the girls. He went to Jesus to lust after girls. But instead, Jesus said, that ain't why you're here. You're here to be saved. Boom, and he saved them. You could have stupid motives. He wants to give you something greater than you're asking for. You may say, well, what if I don't have a stupid motive? What if... I have cancer, or my friend, or I'm brokenhearted, or I need, I need my marriage to work, or I need to, to learn how to kick drugs, or whatever my reason for coming to church is. What if I come for that and I don't get it? 
What if I come for that and all I get is Jesus forgiving all my sins? What if I'm not healed on this earth? What if my family isn't healed? What if what I want on this earth is withheld and all I get is the offer of forgiveness of sins? Well, that is a good question, isn't it? Many people walk away from God because he doesn't give them what they want. Many people come to church, their marriage gets better, and I never see them again. What is it you really want? What is it you want? Do you want God? That's really the question. Do you want the treasure? I think sometimes God does not give a person what they want because they need to learn the reason they came. Look at, look at Paul. Look at this attitude. This is from Philippians 3. He says, whatever things were gained to me, I count those as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be rubbish, to be garbage in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish so I may gain Christ. Paul wouldn't know what to do with a Christian top 10 list. He's like, I didn't come here to get stuff. I gave everything up because I wanted the treasure. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven. For where your heart is, that's where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Matthew 6. He said, well, I don't, I don't know if I want forgiveness of sins if it doesn't improve my life. I don't know if I want to believe in God if my mother doesn't recover. Then leave. I don't mean leave the church. Well, that would probably help, though. Just leave God. You don't want him anyway. But don't be fooled into thinking this world isn't hard. You can have joy in this world if you figure out it's hard and it's better to value Christ. You will be miserable in this world if you know Christ but think he better bless me while I'm here. Period. You can have joy but you gotta give it all up. Do you have forgiveness of sins? You say, I didn't come to church for that. I came because I needed help with this or that. I don't care. You came for the wrong reason. I got a better reason. Jesus wants to forgive your sins. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.